Hebrews 4, verse 9. We may not therefore arrest to the people of God. For he has entered into his rest, he also has ceased from his own work as God did from his. Let us labor therefore to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. There are two things I want us to consider together as we look at this popular portion of God's word. First, what I would call the remnant rest. The remnant rest, not remnant, but the remnant rest. That is the rest that we need. And then secondly, how we are to enter into that rest. The exhortation to enter into that rest. You get it in verse 11. Let us labor or hasten or save to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. The first thing to notice, and we shall come back to it, when we look at the rest that we need, or the remnant rest, is that it is God's rest. He's got a totality interest in that rest. It is in his gift to give, ours indeed, in one aspect at least, it is his by participation and by example. Again and again, we have the words of Psalm 95 quoted, if they shall enter, or surely they shall not enter into my way. My rest. If this is not some rest that we achieve for ourselves, nor is it a rest that any human agency can confer upon us, it is a rest that lies in God's gift to give. He gives it to some, he withholds it from others. He withheld it from the unbelieving Israelites in the wilderness, he said. Surely they shall not enter into my rest. So the work was prepared before the foundation of the world. In looking at this rest that we may use and endeavouring to see what it really is, I think we must bear in mind that the apostle here draws attention to two kinds of rest. First, this is the rest of the Sabbath. But he speaks, therefore, in a certain case of the seventh day in this wise, and God did rest the seventh day from all his work. That is one rest that is spoken of, the Sabbath rest of the seventh day. And it is very interesting that the word that is used in verse 9 is one that draws attention to the sabbatic relation of the rest that remains to the people of God. The remnant rest is a sabbatic rest. 
because that is the word that is used. In your example, our translators have not always been very accurate. We haven't been always very careful to draw distinctions that are there in the original languages. And they say it here. The word rest is really a Sabbath rest, a Sabbathism. If you want to come near to the original word, a Sabbathism. The remain of therefore a Sabbathism to the people of God, the remain of therefore a Sabbath rest. And that's one of the rest that is spoken of here. And the other rest is the rest of the land of promise. The rest into which Joshua led the children of Israel after the death of Moses, a rest that he obtained after the cruel bondage of Egypt when he served in the brick kilns there. And also the weariness of the wilderness moth when the hearts of the people were often discouraged because of the way. And finally, after they had met their enemies and defeated them in the land of Canaan, they took possession. The land was measured out to the people, to the tribe, and they entered into the rest of the land of promise. So, you see, there were two types, there are two types of rest here mentioned. One, the rest of the primordial Sabbath, and the other, the rest of the land of promise. We might call it the rest of home. This is my rest. Here will I always stay, for I'll be lucky. Now, these two kinds of rest, though they are to be distinguished, have much in common. They may have different antecedents, and yet they have a lot in common. For example, the rest of the Sabbath is rest after good work, after glorious work. God says that that they were good, and in the seventh day he rested from his work of creation in contemplation, so to speak, of that glorious work, of that good work. Not because God was tired and exhausted, for God is never exhausted, but he rested with the rest of a contemplation and a right contemplation. The rest of the seventh day. Now, the rest of the kingdom was a different, had a different antecedent. It was, as we pointed out, after Egypt's bondage and the penal error in the wilderness, when they wandered as a punishment for their unbelief and their failure to take God at his word. Now, what have these rests got to do with the remnant rest that is set before us here? The rest that remains for the people of God, for the true Israel, but what is the significance of the word people here? It is a, a Greek translation of the Hebrew word for the, the true people of God, a people that God took for his own possession. But then there is a resting for the new Israel and the true Israel. 
Well, I think that it partakes, this verse that we read, it partakes both of the, the Sabbatism of the Seventh day Race, but it's called a Sabbatism, and it also partakes of the Home Race of the Land of Thomas. It partakes of the first, both teachers, but it partakes of the first, because the first was God's gift to the human race, a gift that was redirected to Israel at Sinai, and a gift that has been continued in the Christian church in the Lord's day. Don't you be led astray by even some evangelicals who would say, that the fourth commandment is part, that the Sabbath is an, an old Mosaic institution and is no longer relevant to the present day. The Sabbath has got an eternal significance. Because there is a very definite eschatological aspect about the Sabbath. Now you may say, what do you mean by eschatological? Well, it's a word used that speaks of the last thing. The final consummation of all things. If only the rabbis were asked, what was the world to come like? Now the world to come was what we would call the unseen world. The rabbis called it the world to come. When they were asked what the world to come was like, they said it was like a southern. And indeed, Augustine, one of the fathers of the church, in his confession, ends with much the same thought that the Sabbath speaks of that eternal blessedness. The fullness of a lasting rest is the rest of the Sabbath. His idea was that after the, the epoch of six days, there came a seventh day, an endless Sabbath. When that blessed Sabbath should begin, the endless day that knows no night. But it's not said of the Sabbath, the evening and the morning were the seventh day. It has got no evening, it's got no night. It is the last that goes on eternally. So then we may say that the rest that we need partakes of the, the Sabbath rest, that the centers on a holy concentration, of what has been good work. And I think that is the significance of their change, which commentators uh, have found somewhat difficult. For he that has entered into <coughs> his rest, that is God's rest, each with a capital, yes, he that has entered, the man who has entered into God's rest, he also has ceased from his own work. Now that is the good work as God did from him. And it's not to be interpreted, as some commentators would have us understand, that this refers to a cessation from the works of sin. In other words, that we lay uh, over our evil deeds, the fruitful works of darkness, that we cease from these works, and that we then rest in the, the righteousness of Christ. Now, for it is true that we must cease from our work and rest in Christ's righteousness, I do not think that that is the significance of the verse here. 
their faith, for he that has entered into his rest, he also ceased from his own works, as God did from his. Because God's works were good works. And you would have something that was completely incompatible here. Comparing man's evil works, the cessation of evil works, with the cessation of the good work of creation. Rather, I think, we have the clue to the interpretation of verse 10, in the words you will find in the Revelation of St. John, where he speaks of the saints ceasing from their labor when they enter into God's heaven, they cease from their labors and their works do follow them. That is good work. They cease from their labors and their works do follow them. So that he that has entered into God's rest, the rest that God gives, he also has ceased from his own work. His labors are finished. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me in that day, and not only to me, but also to all those that love his appearing. But then the remnant rest, the takes of the second rest that we read of here, that is, the rest that Joshua gave to the children of Israel, when he led them into the land of promise. And they took possession of the land. When they rested in their home. That's the point of it. They had the refreshing rest on the way. For example, when they came to Eden, where there were 70 palm trees and there was wells of water, they certainly were refreshed there. But they couldn't serve Eden. This is home, walking. It was just, just a staging place on the way home. But when they came to the Canaan, they came to the land of promise, they came to God's land, they came to the land of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, they came to the covenant land, they came to what was theirs. And I think that is behind the attitude of many Israelis today. Not all of them, of course, but many Israelis, when they feel reluctant to give up a square yard of the Palestine that they possess. Israel came home. This is the point of it. And they were to go no more. That is to say, if they had been obedient to the word of God. But because they were not obedient to God's word, they were taken out of God's good land and went into exile as a judgment and a punishment for their sins. Now, God brings rest, the rest of the seventh day, in its merely physical aspect, and the rest of Canaan, looked upon uh, just as a possession of the land of promise, did not fulfill all that was involved in and enlisted by God in his rest. As the prophet says, but if Joshua had given them rest, then would he not afterward have spoken of another day? But he speaks of another day. For he says, if they shall enter into my rest, so there remains another rest 
for the people of God. Partaking in the character of the Sabbath rest of the seventh day when God blesses them all his work. Partaking also of the rest of the land of promise when Joshua brought the people in and gave them their inheritance. But these, these rests were for the most part outward rests. Physical things. But there is a spiritual possession. And this is what the remnant rest is. So you may say that this rest that we need can be looked upon in a two aspects. One of a present possession. You see to me, that isn't it called the rest that we need? Ah yes, but you must realize that in the context it remains in relation to the other two. The Sabbath rest of the seventh day and Joshua's giving the people rest in the land of Canaan. It remains over and above these two. That doesn't mean to say that it is entirely two. It remains in relation to these other two. And it is a present reality. Well, having not read in the, I think, the previous chapter, that we could believe, do enter into his rest. That's not, we could believe, will one day enter into his rest. No, we could believe, do enter into his rest. Nothing, you still have a, the, the, the spiritual Sabbath and all it conveys. We too have our spiritual inheritance in the land of promise. Oh, not in Palestine or Canaan, but in Christ. And there's where we find the rest that remains. It's a rest in Christ. But there we find the Sabbathism as we rest in him and in his work. And there we find the rest from the toil and the moil of this life, from the sin and the misery of this fallen world, from Egypt's bondage and the wilderness penal error. Come out and me, he says, all oh, that labor and the heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The rest that remains, my friends, is in Christ. And even now, we may experience it. At least we may have a large installment of that rest. When we rest in Him as our righteousness, when we rest in Him as our love, and friends, in the words of the Apostle, we are made to sit with Him even in the heavenly places. Our citizenship, says the Apostle, our same Apostle, is in heaven. That's what our citizenship is, it's in heaven. Our business address may be in this world. It may be in Nice, or in Edinburgh, or in Bangkok, or wherever else it may be. Our business address may be in this world, but our domicile is in heaven. That's our home address. And even now, we have been raised up in Christ Jesus and made to sit with him in the heavenly place. And then, of course, this rest is not complete, this 
remnant place is not complete until we take in what in Baxter's words is called the saints everlasting rest. The rest of glory and communion and broken of heaven itself. And this is the true home of the believer. This is the consolation devoutly to be with. This is the end of Jesus' house for his people. In my Father's house are many places. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. But where I am, there you may be also. That is the fulfillment, the consummation of his redemption and his full salvation. When his people shall be made perfectly blessed in the full enjoyment of God to all eternity, and all toils and labor will be past, and all tears and suffering will be over. When the Lamb that is in the midst of the soul, he shall feed them, and shall lead them under living fountains of water, and God himself shall wipe away all tears out of their eyes. No more tears out of their eyes, because there will be no more need for weeping. No more sorrow, no more sin, no more death, but life and fellowship and joy and life unbroken throughout eternity. There remaineth therefore a Sabbath rest to the people of God. Now, uh, more briefly, I want to look at the practical side of things here, the exhortation to enter into this rest. Let us therefore labor to enter into that rest that any man fall after a same example of unbelief. Once again, let me stress that this rest is God's gift. My rest, he says. This is my rest. If they can enter into my rest, my gift to give, my example to show. Then you say, but if it is God's gift, how is it that we must labor to enter into it? Well, let me say, we are not to labor in the sense of seeking to earn it as a reward of our work. But let me remind you that this rest will not fall into your lap, like perhaps an overripe pear hanging over a wall. Jesus said, try to enter in at the straight gate. Give all diligence to the apostle to make your calling of the election sure. The apostle here warns the, 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 the new Israel, the Hebrew Christians, that some of their forefathers could not enter into the land of promise because of their unbelief and disobedience. They failed to take possession of what was God's gift. And so, my friends, even though it be God's gift, yet we must 
के
For to believe and obey, there's no other way to please God to enter into our inheritance. And then, also, to laboring to enter into his rest, we must watch over our daily living. See then, says the apostle, that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming your time because of those are evil. And my friends, it's all the more necessary in a lax and a slop day, morally such as ours. So that we've got easy going Christians today, even easy going evangelical. Be not conformed to this world, says the apostle, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Proving that they are good and acceptable and the perfect will of God. And Peter tells us something else that we should do if we are to labor into his way. Give all diligence, he says, to make your calling and election sure, unto your faith and virtue, unto virtue knowledge, unto knowledge self-control, unto self-control patient endurance, unto patient endurance brotherly kindness, unto brotherly kindness love. For of these things be in you and abound, they shall make you fruitful in the full knowledge of God. This exercise in addition, adding to our faith, is these six other virtues. It is a good exercise indeed to in laboring to enter into that rest. And so, as Peter preaches, there shall be ministered unto you an abundant essence into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. An abundant entrance into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. But let me finish by saying, asking the question which some of you may be asking, but how shall we enter into that rest even now? The, the apostle here is, speaking to those who already have entered into, let's say, the first installment of that way. We would believe that they enter into that way. And we must try our labor to enter into it fully, into the full inheritance of the heavenly kingdom. But how do we stay outside? Is there any way in which we can enter into that way? Perhaps someone will say, it's all right for the people of God, but how can I, who may be outside the people of God, is there a chance for me to enter into that rest? To find rest in Christ? To find rest at last in heaven? I ask the Lord. He says, come unto me. Come unto me, all ye that labor under heavy laden, and I will give you rest. If any man says, let him come unto me and drink. And to come to Christ is simply to believe in him and to receive him as our Savior. To come to Christ is to lay our weight upon him for our salvation. It's simply to believe in him with the reception of faith and trust. Come unto me, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, and ye will find rest.
to your soul. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Let us pray.